Welcome to the Pathinator Travel Lounge Podcast, where we explore and help our world and ourselves. Have you ever had a problem and thought you were all alone? You're not. People throughout the world have similar problems. Our host, Joseph Cook, has traveled to over 150 countries. He's been whipped and robbed one day, followed by witnessing unbelievable acts of kindness the next. Through travel experiences, we'll show you that the solutions to issues we face as individuals can also solve issues that the world faces. Here's your PTL podcast and host, Joseph. This podcast is titled Mandela's for Us, and it gets into individual rights and individual responsibilities. So as the name implies, it's about Nelson Mandela. Nelson Mandela was famous for a couple different reasons. One reason is he was in prison for 27 years in South Africa. The reason why he was imprisoned is he was speaking against apartheid, and apartheid is the idea that whites and blacks and also then people from the subcontinent, people from India, or I should say people largely from India, who are uh, a decent chunk of the population in South Africa would be kept apart, apartheid. So he was in prison for 27 years and then was released from prison and became leader of South Africa. So the big thing with this is I'm thinking of when I traveled to South Africa and I was in a taxi and I was, I was talking a little bit. I can't remember exactly how we got into this topic, but the, ta- but the taxi driver asked what were some of the things I was going to do in South Africa. And I mentioned going to Robben Island and Robben Island was the island off of Cape Town where Mandela was in prison for 27 years. So he talked a little bit. He was an older, older gentleman. So he talked a little bit about apartheid. And at that time then, in his younger life, he lived or he worked in a factory. I believe he worked in a factory. And he said something to the effect, well, whites and blacks actually got along really well during that time. And then when the workday was over, we just went to different neighborhoods. So I was thinking about that. And, you know, when I talked to him, I thought he was probably somewhere in the middle of the political spectrum. He wasn't a white advocating to get rid of apartheid, but I'd got the feeling that he wasn't someone that was super racist against blacks. So he said that basically whites and blacks got along, but they didn't live together. Again, I I don't know how blacks would feel about that statement. It might be true that they were getting along at work, but the the, the fact was they were treated as second-class citizens. So I, I thought about that a little bit, and as he was talking, he talked a little bit more about the story about Nelson Mandela. And he was telling about Nelson Mandela right after he became leader of South Africa. He was released from prison and became leader of South Africa. And the story goes that football was really, or soccer, football was uh, a big for Mandela and a lot of the blacks in the country, where he, the taxi driver, and a lot of whites were really big on rugby, the Springboks. And he tells the story of when Mandela went to a, a rugby game, it was a big rugby game, and he put the, the green and yellow on the, the color. A lot of blacks were against rugby because of the idea that it's a white sport and how poorly the whites had treated the blacks. But he said... When he put that jersey on and supported the largely white rugby team, he said, I know Mandela's for us. And again, I, I, I took him as a person then that was kind of a, a typical white person at that time. And this really turned the corner for, for him, and I'm assuming other, others in that country as well. And I thought, oh, wow, that's really a great story. Some, someday maybe, maybe uh, Hollywood will make that into a movie. And within a couple of years, Clint Eastwood directed Invictus. It was with Nelson Mandela. Or, I'm sorry, it was with Morgan Freeman as Nelson Mandela. And then Matt Damon was um, the main rugby player, the captain of the rugby team that convinces his teammates and, and a big chunk of the country to support Mandela. I should say a big part of the country, uh, a lot of the whites to support Mandela as well. 
So then I actually did go to Robin Island. And again, Robin Island is a boat trip from Cape Town. And, and you do a tour of Robin Island. And it's with actually ex-prisoners. So people that were in prison there. And some of them knew Mandela, some didn't. But uh, the prisoner, the main tour guide that was a prisoner was talking to us and he said, he told the story of Mandela and that, you know, you couldn't take flash photography of him because working on, I believe it was limestone or some type of stone, he was partially blinded because of the bright, the sun off that stone and into his eyes. A lot of times you saw him with sunglasses and also then he could have flash photography and there, you know, different stories about Mandela. And then he talked about a time that Mandela and a lot of those leaders came back after they were released from prison. And again, their job was kind of clearing rocks and clearing stones on this island. So they came back and I believe Mandela led it and put a rock down and all of a sudden other people would do it as well. And there's a, a pile of rocks, you know, that signified basically this is this is the true end of, of Robin Island. It was either meant to be a, this is the true end of Robin Island or just some type of memorial or whatever. And he said, one of the tourists asked him, well, which one's Mandela? So I want to take a picture of it. He's like, you're completely missing missing everything. The, the idea of why we're here at Robin Island. And one of the things at Robin Island, I did want to see where his cell was. One of the things I do like when I, as an ex-history teacher, is to see different places and then try to sit there and imagine different places where something historically important, something happened that was in historically important and then try to just sit there and, and reenact it in my mind and close my eyes and there's sometimes you can get a very strong feel so it was rather a quick tour in and out of his cell the the, the tour of the the grounds was, was pretty detailed but obviously a lot of people probably would want to sit at a cell so they kind of made it kind of quick as they left i kind of hung out for a few few more seconds in the cell just to close my eyes and really get a feel for it in the movie invictus uh matt damon does the same so I was in there 27 years. I was probably there about 27 seconds, but you got really a, it's a very small cell. So when you think about that, all that time, 27 years, that's prime time in his life. And when he was released, there certainly was, we talk about rights, the rights that you have. If you talk about the right to be angry, I'm not sure if that's a right, but yeah, you're in prison for 27 years. I think a lot of people would be angry, but he wasn't. One of the things to note then, when you think about rebel leaders, and Mandela would be a rebel, or if you're voting against something, going against, it's a lot easier to be against something than actually try to, to lead something. And when you look at a lot of our rebel leaders, they were rebel leaders, okay, they, they got the change that they wanted. In other words, that person's out of power, now I'm in power. Generally what happens then is it's a lot easier. Very few rebel leaders became effective leaders then. When, when they got when they got when they got the actual power it's a lot easier to complain than actually lead in this case Mandela is one of the few people then that was effective and why was he effective again this hate that he probably that I'm sure most people would have of the imprisonment instead of doing all this I have the right to be angry I have the right uh, thinking about me he put his country in front of him other people in front of him economically, he was basically a socialist, but he realized then that at that time, at least, it was more important for South Africa to continue with capitalism, that it will help his fellow people more. So his idea, economic idea, he put on the back burner to help other people. A lot of people are thinking now it's time for payback. And he said, no, it's not. Put your Throw your guns away. And this whole idea with the football and the rugby, again, a lot of people just wanted to get rid of rugby, but he realized the importance of including everybody in South Africa. This is very difficult to do. As I said, most leaders then don't do this. They're good at complaining and saying this is bad. What replaces it? And indeed, the leaders after him, Mbeki was the leader after Mandela. 
and he was considered, I think most people consider average or, or did some good things, but not a Mandela. And the one after him was Jacob Zuma. Jacob Zuma became the head of the ANC, which is the main part, African National Congress, the main party. And basically, if you're going to be head of the ANC, you're going to win in South Africa. And he had some shady deals as far as financial deals, shaky morals. There's one time we're uh, having sex with a woman and he said, oh, that's okay. I showered afterwards. And again, in a country that has a serious problems with AIDS, to say, oh, it's okay, that, that's going to clear everything up, just taking a shower, is problematic. And I don't believe this, I, again, I believe this was a, a woman that, you know, he was just having an, an affair with. It wasn't somebody that he was in a relationship with. So even the people that followed him really couldn't hold up to what Mandela did. So when you think about this, then, it's a fairly unique example. So tying this to, to a couple previous podcasts, hyenas in Arar looked at a way for animals and humans coexist and asked and asked if animals and humans can coexist. Why can't humans and other humans that they disagree with? This is obviously one where there is differences of opinion. You're talking about apartheid, there's obviously a huge difference as far as a way of life. And I guess coexist is the, the main goal here. Not necessarily kumbaya where everyone got together, but a way to have a working relationship. So I wasn't obviously part of the South African government. I'm sure there were still differences, major differences, but there's a way then for Mandela to keep people together and for them to coexist and work together for something that's mutually beneficial. The last podcast was $7 in in my pocket and, and dealt with the realities people face and whether they escape those realities or not. I gave a couple different examples in that podcast. One was a, a person that would sleep in prison, would ask prison guards if they could just sleep in prison uh, for free. So when you think of that, is is that really skirting your individual responsibilities? Possibly. I mean, one thing is, it's okay, it's free. By doing that, you're not paying a hotel room and helping that person's livelihood. But also what happens if something bad happens in that prison? Are you expecting then the prison guards to, to help you or save you uh, when you decided yourself to be in that prison? The second person was a Japanese person that was bicycling back from, flew to England and was bicycling back. And he would just, when he was tired, just sleep in a, a tent somewhere in the middle of nowhere and, and ask people for food or, or get food in some fashion. Again, he was a younger person. I guess he was exploring and thinking things through. Does he have a responsibility? Okay, he was asking people for money. He, he wasn't paying his bills. He never had more than $7 in his pocket. He wasn't really hurting anything, but was he contributing to society or not? That's hard to say. I mean, I thought I thought it was an interesting perspective and I thought it was kind of neat at the time. And I'm sure then when he went home, he could share with other people and, and say, well, this is what happened and kind of what I'm doing now. Well, this is a good way of doing things at, or and this is not. So was he contributing or not? Was he thinking too much about uh, escaping reality or was this reality something that was helpful? And the main person then was Brigitte, then who was a German that went to Malawi and Mulu. she was just on there on vacation, but she decided to move there. And again, she, I guess it was escaping then life in, in Germany, that reality. But she definitely wasn't just doing something where she's, you know, getting high every day and, and asking people to support her. She hadn't escaped reality. She was doing a lot to help the little town that she was in, Monkey Bay. So I tied that to the idea of reality and individual rights and re- individual responsibilities. And when we talk about this story, Mandela, you could see then, okay, he had the right then he regained the right to uh, freedom of speech, and he's out of prison and all those those rights that are associated with being free. But instead of just saying, okay, I could do whatever I want whenever I want, he upheld 
the idea of responsibility to society. He helped society, South Africa, in a time where it could have been split in two. He put himself in, in the background, his ideas even in the background, of his economic ideas. So there's going to be a part two of this, then the idea of individual rights and individual responsibility. And it's going to deal with another country and another leader in Africa, and that's Robert Mugabe and Zimbabwe, which is right next door to South Africa. So a little bit of similar story, somewhat similar story with the independence of Zimbabwe. But you can see what the difference is when somebody puts their individual rights in front of their responsibility to help others. That will be in the next podcast, Cleaning Up the Garbage. As we finish today, I'm thinking of my parents. I mentioned a little bit of my background in the original podcast, but my parents worked every day. It was a dairy farm, so they worked because they had to milk cows. They worked every day. And we didn't get a chance to do many trips. As I said, a big trip for us was going to the Milwaukee Zoo, which is, you know, an hour away. They did take a couple bigger trips, once for the 25th anniversary to Hawaii and also another one to Germany. But usually they were at home working and taking care of their family. They decided then when they turned 62, I think... When they turned 62, my dad just one bad day on the farm, and he said, yep, we're selling the cows. And then two weeks later, they're gone, and they retired. And they got a chance to do a lot of different things they normally didn't because they worked so hard farming. And one of the things they got to do is travel quite a bit. They're very fortunate to have, I guess, a long career traveling as well. I consider myself having a long career traveling. They did as well. They took trips both domestically and internationally. There's a lot of trips that places they went that they simply couldn't go or or because they're so dedicated to work and family that they that they didn't go previously. Whenever they talked about the trips, they always got very, very excited. Ma and Pa always had great stories from They could see the, always a big smile and they would always finish it with, you can't go wrong with traveling. Very simple sentence, but it's it's so true. And they're they're talking literally traveling, domestic, internationally, because there's all these things that even if it goes poorly, I guess you're still on vacation and you're still traveling and you're learning things. So that's that's what they're saying. But I, I think there's also a figurative look at that too. When you're when you're traveling, it doesn't necessarily have to be literally traveling. When you're traveling a new route to work, when you're trying something new, and again, you're not actually overseas, you're not actually on vacation, but traveling, exploring. So when I think about that, I always do think about how great their trips were, how excited they got when their trips were, but also just how excited they were when they were back home and raising us, even when there's tough, obviously, with eight kids, there's some tough times and, and some disagreements and whatnot, but they traveled through life and they always had this great, they definitely traveled even when they weren't traveling, if you know what I mean. Even though they went through, you know, two trips in, in 20 years because they were working so hard, they were traveling with us in a, in a different way. I think that's a great way of looking at it. You can't go wrong with traveling. In other words, live your life and live a full life. Thank you for listening to our PTL podcast. Visit us at www.pathinator.com for more travel information, self-help material, service ideas, and to donate. The skills that make us successful travelers make us successful in life and vice versa. This PTL podcast and Pathinator website can help you learn these skills. Catch you on the flip side.